Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Who makes a mixtape? Who needs a mixtape? Who makes a mixtape? Who needs a mixtape? Oh. So come on, listen to our mixtape. Raise the roof and move your feet. Come along and laugh with our mixtape. <laughs> So come on and listen to our mixtape. Sing along and clap to the beat. Settle in and listen to our mixtape. And now the music finishes. Enjoy your pork chop sandwiches. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the mixtape podcast. I'm Jason Emmett. I'm Casey Masterpiece. And this is Twisted Kid Matt. And no one was on mute. It was a. <laughs> It's amazing. Sometimes we, sometimes we get I that had shit to right. Check to be honest, though. <laughs> you know what we need to start trying to get right is the the out the outro bit, which we keep getting way off. Oh yeah, it's like stay, stay, stay on. Somebody just sort of falls awesome. Wow. Yeah, somebody's somebody's swallowing the mic with it on <laughs> echo, and like, what the hell? Uh, well, we welcome all you guys back. We have uh, a really really awesome episode today so we're going to do very little talking uh, we're going to get into the interview here in just a few seconds um, but we were I, I'm just going to say privileged enough to get to uh, get to here I go <laughs> stroke stroke we were privileged enough to get to speak to Mr. Stephen Tobolowsky this week and it was awesome Matt and I got to sit down with him and uh, honestly you know we had stuff we wanted to talk to him about um, but we let him go, and thank God we did, because he told yeah. just some amazing stories. Did not disappoint. No, and I highly some recommend. Amazing true stories, if you will. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I see what you did there. And you're not wrong. You're not wrong at all. Uh, if you don't know who he is, you do know who he is. Uh, I'd be shocked. Most everybody did I've talked to, and they're like, really? You're going to talk to him? So, but we'll kind of... Go over. I mean, we go over it a little bit in the interview, but we'll go over it here uh, before we go into it with him. But uh, let's get rid of the uh, stuff we got to get rid of first, and then we'll get into the fun stuff here. Hey, guess what, guys? We have a website, and it's worth checking out now. It's it's uh, the mixtape pod. What is it? <laughs> dot com. www. I forgot to say www, and it threw me off. But it is the mixtapepod.com. You can go over there, and it's thank you. <laughs> it's as well. It's well worth going over there because you know what's on there now? The pastry crack recipe. Yeah, it's on Yay! there. Make it for your friends and family and they'll love you forever. That's how well, I, I make friends. when you get the beatus. No, but it's the fun way to get the beatus. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a good way to, you know, get that beatus. Good way to die. The sugar. <laughs> I got the sugars. Um, yeah, so go over, check out the website. Uh, pretty much everything you want is on there if you're interested in all uh, contacting us. Uh, the easiest way is to hit the link tree, and that'll give you all the info on us that you ever wanted and more. Um, but you can find all that stuff on the pod or on the uh, website. You can links to the podcast. You can get our email address. You can get our phone number. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and drop in a little clip right here, and that'll kind of tell you some of the stuff you need to know there, too. Listen up, tapeworms. The Mixtape Podcast wants you. Drop us an email, your mixtape podcast at gmail.com, or leave a voicemail, 
513 HERAD77. That's 513-437-2377. All the cool kids are doing it. You want to be cool, don't you? Uh, so there you go. Uh, thank you, Mr. Skiznot, for giving them all that wonderful information. So head on over there and check that out. Hey, if you're listening to this on a uh, specific place, you know, whether it be Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you might be listening, and you have the ability to do so, please leave us a quick review. We would appreciate it. And also tell your friends about us because you should because we love them and we love you and we love everyone. And if you don't tell at least 15 friends about this in the next five minutes uh, satan will you'll be cursed with bad <laughs> luck and bloody mary will show up in your mirror when you go to the bathroom next time Ooh. and a puppy will die <laughs> yeah after it gets kicked you guys would. by a matt by a baby too far <laughs> by a baby yeah. By a, a baby. baby kicks it and no. you're like who do i yell at first the dog or the baby it's the baby always yell at the baby <laughs> yeah I mean, Matt's Matt's people feeling, will frown. We should just oh, probably let you guys know Matt's not, Matt's feeling a little under the weather today. So the, yeah. the stuff he's saying, <laughs> it's probably allergy medication that they're talking right now. So. Don't don't yell at a baby or kick them <laughs> or whatever yeah. he said. Don't don't, do don't kick babies. Don't yell at babies. Don't kick puppies. <laughs> don't do any of that. Love That'd be them. Bad for like we love you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh shit. Um, yeah. So seriously though, if you guys can share the show, if you can tell people about it, the more listeners we get, the easier it is for us to uh, talk to awesome people like we did today. So, uh, yeah. please do. We appreciate it. Uh, so let's, let's give a little brief, you know, let's talk really, really briefly about who Stephen Tobolowsky is. And, um, then we'll just let him do the talking because like I said, he's great at it and tells some wonderful stories and he gets really, I mean, he talks about a lot of the stuff that he was involved with in a way that is like he tells stories about it. And that's, I told him, I mean, like he has a podcast, uh, the Tobolowsky file, files, and I recommend it, but he's just so good at telling stories. Listen to ours first, then go listen to his yeah. later. So. Yeah, listen to us. And then yeah. he'll tell you all about the, the the Tobolowsky files, and then you can go listen, but finish our, our show. Yeah, don't first. like stop ours. That'd be weird. Yeah, that'd be right. just weird. You'd be like, just well, consider- I didn't hear the whole thing, but yeah. Consider it a rule as to just listen to us first, then listen to the guests. Yeah, and if you get yeah. confused, just listen to ours two times, and then yeah. go listen to theirs. So yeah, yeah, while yeah. telling somebody else about it and rating us five to ten stars, depending on the rating scale, of whatever. <laughs> and hugging puppies. Yeah, hug, <laughs> hug a puppy, and you'll be fine. Hug a puppy. Oh god. Um. So he's been in, he's been in lots. Of, I don't even the know. Mixtape <laughs> podcast says hug a puppy, everyone. Um. So he's been in tons of stuff, like seriously. Uh, but some of the biggest stuff that everybody's going to remember him from, and and like he's not like a bit part player either. Uh, in Spaceballs, he was the captain of the guard, which it sounds like what a great title, right? But no, he has a pretty big part in it, considering yeah. Mississippi Burning. Uh, God, um, he was in Great Balls of Fire. Do you guys remember that movie? Do you remember Great yeah. Balls of Fire? Oh yeah, wasn't that uh, the, uh, Winona Ryder? Was Winona yeah. Ryder in that? It was, she's right? In that. She was the cousin, right? That he hooks up with? Yeah, to the internet. <laughs> the Bird cousin on. he hooks up with, a.k.a. his, his, his wife? Uh, <laughs> child bride? Yeah. Uh, a.k.a. victim? Bird on a Wire, yeah. which was a... A.k.a. victim, yes. Which right. was a fun movie. Do you guys uh, remember Bird on a Dennis Wire? Dennis Quaid 
and Winona Ryder. Yeah, yeah. see, that's what I thought. I don't, uh, I don't recall liking it much. The movie, I thought it was weird, no. but hey, it was creepy. Like, hey, let's celebrate this. Uh, Do you guys remember Bird on a Wire though, with Mel Gibson and Goldie Hawn? Yes, vaguely. It's yeah. a pretty good flick. Uh, God, the Grifters. He was in Thelma and Louise. He was in Thelma and Louise for Pete's sake. Um, Memoirs of an Invisible Man, which uh, is another one of those which I like. That was Chevy Chase um, and Daryl Hannah. So I don't know. If John Carpenter. Was that John Carpenter? Was that a John it's Carpenter? John movie? Carpenter directed. Holy yeah. shit! I didn't realize that. I thought yeah. I knew all of his movies. Uh, Sneakers, which is a great, great movie. If you've never seen Sneakers, I highly recommend watching Sneakers. It's it's wonderful. Robert Redford, uh, Dan, uh, Dan Aykroyd's in it, and it's like one of the last River Phoenix movies, if I'm not mistaken. I think uh, uh, Sidney Poitier's in it too. It's it's wonderful. It's a great movie. Um, must be on Groundhog Day. As well. <laughs> you say that as yeah. if wasn't he? Wasn't well, he? Perhaps. Uh, perhaps. Maybe. Yes, he was in Groundhog's Third Day. Chance. He's that's okay. probably one of his most famous roles is Groundhog's Day, which we do talk about. Uh, Basic Instinct, single white female, um, Memento, which we we have a whole discussion about Memento and, and and how that whole thing came about and why it was such a big deal for him and. I mean, he's been in, in just tons of uh, television shows, and right now he's, of course, in uh, The Goldbergs, which we discuss at length on in the podcast. So you know the guy, you've seen the guy. Of course, if you're still wondering, yes, he was in Groundhog's Day, and yes, he was Ned Ryerson. Ned Ryerson. So, um, yeah. And he, he talks a lot about comedy as far as being an actor and how comedy is, is such a wonderful area to be in, which is weird because while that is what he's most known for, of course... Um, some you know, like Basic Instinct and Memento and stuff like that. He's not really, it's not really comedy, but uh, and then another movie that he's in that I think we've discussed and we're going to go ahead and do a um, Twisted Kid edition on is Josh and Sam. And if you guys have never seen Josh and Sam, it's it's a really fun kind of like very heartwarming kind of movie. If you remember the movie uh, The Wizard, it always kind of reminded me of that. So uh, we're going to be doing a, an episode on that to kind of follow this up here. I don't know, in a week or so. Um, so be looking forward to that. But, I, I mean, do you guys have anything like you would like we you feel like I haven't said that we probably need to say before we go into the interview? Cause. Um, I will say that if you don't leave this episode with a deeper appreciation of not only Stephen Tobolowsky, but uh, the Talking Heads, yeah. you definitely will. Um that's a fun tease. Just, oh my god! <laughs> That's a fun tease, Matt. That was good. Yeah, it really is. Just, just wait, because I mean, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a pretty great story about it's about his work on true stories. A freaking wonderful story. It's it's yeah. such a good, and it's not just about true stories. It's about David Byrne in general, and stop making yeah. sense, and it's it's so good. Yeah, like that and story alone. That apparently. Was, David Byrne exists between multiple planes of existence and can just teleport to anywhere at any time. <laughs> on a bicycle. That right there. On a bicycle, yeah. Listen to the episode, you'll, you'll, you'll understand what I mean by uh, that, because it just, it, it kind of comes out of nowhere, just like David Byrne. So. Oh my God, he's outside my apartment. Damn. He might be. Your very low furnished apartment with only suits in the closet. <laughs> Big ass suits too. Yes. I mean, you could like fit three people in there. He has oh. white linen suits. Yep. Oh, God. It's pretty good. This is all in the interview, guys, by the way. <laughs> like, everybody listening to this, 
this is uh, kind of where it went. It's it's fantastic. It so. is fantastic. So yeah. let's same go as ahead. it ever was. Same, same as, as it, it ever was. was. Let's go ahead. It and was kick. a wild, wild life, though. Oh, so. <laughs> you guys, well, you stopped. You killer. stopped making sense a long time ago. Thank you. Thank you. I tried. All right. Let's go ahead and kick it over to Stephen Tobolowsky, and then we'll come back, and uh, we'll talk to you guys for a few minutes, and then we'll let you go. So here you go. Here's our interview with one Stephen Tobolowsky. Does this sound okay to you? Yeah. I'm talking because I'm just talking. Okay. Good. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm Jason. That's Matt. You hear on the other side there, the one with the hey uh, Jason, hey Matt, history. Nice to meet you. But uh, <laughs> we're we're really glad that you could take a few minutes to speak with us today. Uh, pretty excited to speak to you tonight. So thank you. Well, we really appreciate that's it. Good. Pleasure, pleasure. So uh, we'll probably just start at the beginning with you because I know there's a lot of stuff and you've done a lot of stuff. So we'll 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 kind of start in the beginning. Like what what got you into acting? How did what got you interested? What uh, how did this become a passion of yours? Boy. It- You hate to start to to answer a question that enormous with with, uh, kind of qualifying it. But what really began my passion for being an actor was as a child, I thought monsters were real. And I'm talking about age three, age four, age five. I love Frankenstein and the Wolfman and all that. And I thought monsters were real. And if I were an actor, I could hang out with Wolfman and Frankenstein and Godzilla. I, that's what I really thought. And as I grew older, I, I imagined on my walks to school, I was in monster movies and I was in, and I would make up dialogue with myself and fight, do sword fights with myself, you know, and stab myself and fight on the edge of a cliff all by myself, all of these kind of things. And so I, I did my first play when I was five. I did uh, Hansel and Gretel at the park and I played Hansel and Marsha Housewright played Gretel and I got to kiss her on the forehead. (laughs) And let me tell you, at the age of five, that was incredibly hot. At the age of five, I had a curfew. I had to be in bed by eight o'clock. And so my mother took me home from the park and my Aunt Esther stayed and watched that I did, in fact, win the award as second best peewee actor for, for my portrayal. So the next day, I found out I had won awards for being an actor. And I'm thinking, like, I'm on the right path. So that's (laughs) really how the passion started, with something as crazy and as stupid as that. And then I did plays all through high school. And then I went to college, and I I lied to my mother and father and said uh, that I didn't say I was a theater major. I, I said that I was um, taking a general, I was a geology major, <laughs> which is a jump from theater. Like for some reason, my parents thought becoming an actor was a career risk, but becoming a geologist <laughs> was going to be a sure thing. Yeah. But it wasn't a real lie because to be a geologist, I had to take geology, which I did. I had to take uh, mathematics, which I did. Uh, all the humanities courses, and I had to take one arts course, which happened to be theater. So I wasn't really lying. <laughs> and and then later, uh, the <laughs> it all hit the fan, and it became apparent I was a theater major when I had a problem with a, one of the teachers at SMU, and she tried to get me thrown out of the department 
and she kind of blackballed me from being cast in any plays in college, which kind of hurts your college acting career. Sure. So yeah. I went out and got my equity card and started acting professionally in Dallas. And I became one of the young ingenue stars of the theater scene in Dallas. And then I really thought maybe I would be a professional actor. That's kind of how it all started. And after a certain point, it's like being a left-handed relief pitcher. You, you realize you spend so much time just in the bullpen thrown with your left hand. There isn't a whole lot else you could do in your <laughs> life. So I, everything else just kind of withered on the vine. And I just pursued acting from that point on. You know, that's a, that's a good analogy because I'd read you were quite the baseball player at one time. Did you, did you ever consider? I, I was good. But, oh, we, I was in Texas, you know, so we always considered a career in sport. <laughs> Fair you, enough. You know, that was, that's a foregone conclusion. But my brother <laughs> was football really or baseball. Good. You say your brother was really yeah, good? Yeah. Oh, my brother was phenomenal. In all sports. He was great in baseball, great in tennis, great in football. Uh, He's the guy who, as in, caught a touchdown pass in the end zone and was tackled and broke his hand and still held on to the ball (laughs) in the end zone. That that was like my brother. And I always wanted to be like Paul, very much like that. But I wasn't as good at sports as Paul was. But he was a great instructor. So at home, he and dad was, my father loved throwing the ball around with me. He loved hitting the tennis ball, throwing football, anything like that he loved. So yeah, growing up in Texas, I spent most of my time not doing plays, (laughs) but doing most of my time playing baseball, playing football, playing tennis, all of that stuff, but never really thinking I would be a professional uh, athlete at all. No. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you probably picked the the right profession. You've had, what, almost 300 different roles uh, over your career. Do you ever feel like, I mean, in a field like this, a lot of people end up typecast, but you really haven't. I mean, you've done a little bit of everything. You've done comedies, dramas, you've kids' movies, westerns. Um, So uh, aside from your obvious ability, what do you think it is that helps, like, your varied career that kept you from getting typecast? Or what do you think makes people get typecast? Yeah, I, for one thing, you're, you're absolutely right with everything you say. It's a career that aims to typecast you because it makes things easier. Right. And then when you get cast a certain number of times as the bad guy, then maybe you've got one other chance where you, they want to cast you against type, they say. And, but that only usually works once or twice. For me, the lucky I guess the lucky thing was, first of all, I do comedy. That's lucky because what would you say the percentile is of entertainment done throughout the world that's comedy? Throughout the world? Oh, God. Yeah, just it. I mean, people do professional theater, professional theater, professional television movies. <laughs> that number I got was 90% of everything that's made has an element in it that's comedic, even if it's dramatic. That's true. You're going to have one yeah. or two characters that's like even, you know, in the Arnold Schwarzenegger in True Lies, you know, yep. you're always going to have the one character that's going to be kind of comedic. So it, it helped that I, I knew how to do drama for my theater training and I knew how to do comedy. And so I had a pretty broad palette and, and I didn't mind playing tiny parts and I, 
didn't mind playing big parts right. if I got them or thankless roles. It really didn't matter to me because I felt like everything was just no matter what you do, you're always on to the next. But what makes someone lucky in this career is you have to have a role that reinvents you. And and so for me, I kind of began doing all sorts of utility roles in film and television, either playing bad guys. There are a lot of bad guys that played smarmy guys, you know, guys <laughs> who want to feel up the girls uh, like in single white female, that kind of stuff. But then I had Groundhog Day. Right. And Groundhog Day was one of those parts that the the odds of being in a good part in a good movie that people go see. That's the triumvirate you have to pull off in this business. You have to be good in a good part. That's a good movie and people go see if any one of those three elements is not there, you have a catastrophe on your hands or, or either that or you're uh, a trivia question. But that was a terrific movie, fabulous movie. I had a wonderful part in it. It was a fabulous cast, great director. And it's one of those films that has endured because, as my theory is, which I, I shared recently with Bill Murray and with Andy, is that I think one reason it is uh, timeless is that we had to shoot it in the winter because the movie is called Groundhog Day, which right. it wasn't originally. You know, originally it was not Groundhog Day. Uh, Danny Rubin, the writer, wanted the movie to center around a holiday, but wasn't sure which one it was going to be. But because he settled on Groundhog Day, that means we had to shoot in the winter and winter clothes styles don't change as much as summer and spring clothes styles. And you can't see the hairstyles. So it looks timeless. You don't have the big shoulder pads or the big puffy hair or the, you know, the weird stuff that you do on other kind of comedy films. So that helped being t So that film reinvented me. Then, uh, Everyone wanted to cast me as zany, crazy characters. <laughs> and Chris Nolan, then kindly enough, he he asked me if I would be in Memento. Yes, I had no idea yes, who he was or, or what the movie was. And I read the script. And I always thought of kind of, do you know how long movie scripts are? What the average page count of a movie script is that an actor gets to read i mean i would guesstimate probably what 90 100 pages something like that yeah yeah the the standard number they'll give you is it can't be over 120 okay so usually it's 110 to 120 is the script you get as an actor to read uh memento and i'm making this up now but it's it you'll get the idea the script they sent me was like 385 pages long <laughs> and i'm going like this is a joke. What this thing, this is like, you, you know, the Bible or something. I've never seen a movie script that's this huge. And then I start reading it, and I see the reason it's so big is that Chris and his brother, who, who wrote it with Chris, uh, in detail put how every scene is shot. And you begin to see the picture as, as you're reading it of, oh, my God, this is this is an incredible movie and everything is going backwards in time. And, it, and the whole memory thing and the tattoos, it's, it's phenomenal. Yes. And <laughs> I remember I, I, uh, when I finished it, I threw the script across the room and my wife said bad. And I said, 
probably the greatest screenplay I've ever read. Wow. And I went into Chris, Chris's office and said, I have to be in this movie. I know there are going to be a lot of people. They're going to tell you that they have to be in this movie because this is one of the greatest scripts ever written. And it just so happened. I said, he said, well, there isn't a whole lot for you to audition with. I said, well, I'm not going to audition. I'm just going to tell you this. <laughs> Out of everybody who's going to play Sammy Jenkins, who wants to play Sammy Jenkins, and there'll be thousands, I bet you I'm going to be the only one who actually has had amnesia in his life. And Chris said, you had amnesia? And I told Chris the whole story of how I had a kidney stone and the doctors wanted to try an experimental anesthesia, anesthesia on me where they give to big guys like me. Cause I'm like, at that point I was like six, four and probably, you know, 215 pounds. They give this anesthesia to big guys to where it doesn't knock you out. It just makes you forget. And, and so they say, walk down the hall, and you walk down the hall, and you forget you did that. Get on the table. Okay, that's good. Now we're going to operate, and you experience the pain, but you forget it. It's like amnesia, but like any general anesthesia, I felt no pain during the, the operation. I was fine. I came home. But like any general anesthetic, it took several days for it to wear off, and for the next few days, I would be born in a moment. Wow. And I'd be holding half a glass of water in my hand. And in that moment, I didn't know if I had drunk half a glass and wow. was going to drink more, or I was going to the kitchen to fill it up. And I would be frozen in time and not know what I was going to do. Wow. That's really, that and, sounds horrifying. <laughs> and, Chris cast, and Chris cast me, and it turned out to be at the point the biggest grossing independent film of all time. Yeah. And I think it was beaten out by my big fat Greek wedding eventually, but it was a brilliant movie. So that movie, again, once I was in that movie, even though I had a small part, it was a fantastic movie and a great movie to be in and a different part than Ned Ryerson. Right. So then it put me back on to where I could be in different roles again. And, and, and that's just the way it kind of lucked out for me is, is that occasionally I would get a role like stew bags in California where I had to be naked and do sex. I mean, who wants to see me? <laughs> I don't even want to see me naked. I mean, I mean I, you know, and I, and I have to every, I have to every day. Right. And, and I remember, I remember we had finished the first season and this is, uh, uh, Tom, who was our, you know, the executive, director, head writer of Californication, uh, Tom Caponis. And after the first season I did of Californication, I did four seasons on it. And I had done some naked scenes with Pam Adlon, which is great because <laughs> Pam Adlon is a great person to be naked with. She's so funny all the time and makes you so glad that you're there. And I mean, all the time, the greatest spirit in the world, just what a great performer. What a great person to have in the cast. Well, everybody in that show was wonderful. But at the end of the first season, I had to have open heart surgery. Right. Which is, which is a, certainly a life changer. So I had to call Tom. Tom called me up on the phone and said, Stephen, you know, we want you back in California and we want you doing a full nude sex scene 
uh, first up, are, are you okay with that? And I go, Tom, I have to be straight with you. I'm not the same me as I was last year. I just had open heart surgery. He goes, oh, wow, really? Go, yeah, yeah, Tom. So uh, I've lost like about 25 pounds from the surgery. And now I have a big scar running down my chest. He goes, you have a scar running down your chest? I go, yeah. He says, cool. We <laughs> love scars on California. Oh, wow. This is wonderful. <laughs> Will you do it? So you have to work with people like Tom, you know, who think all these things are wonderful. And, and so I lucked out with Californication. <laughs> different, so I, I got very lucky at various turns. Um, so I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about this because, uh, I mean, you've done a little bit, of, you've done some directing and you even did a little bit of writing, correct, with, um, with True Stories, David Byrne. And I'm I'm a right, huge David right. Byrne fan. What what was that experience like? Like working with David Byrne? God, that was crazy. Well, yeah, was it? Uh, <laughs> that was that was nuts. And and uh, David is an amazing person. Yeah. An amazing person. Uh, so my girlfriend at the time, uh, Beth Henley, uh, Beth and I were sweethearts in college, and she was one of those little actresses who never got cast. You know, she always looked like a child, so occasionally she would get cast as the child in a play. But she was, you know, 24, like me, you know, 24, 25. Anyway, so in graduate school, Beth said, you know, I decided I'm not going to be an actress anymore. I'm going to be a writer instead. And I'm thinking like, great, baby, that's great. You know, (laughs) one of us should get a steady job. Either learn to drive a cab or you know, be a dental hygienist. Someone's got to bring money in. So so anyway, the first full-length play she wrote, she won the Pulitzer Prize for drama. First play. Nice. Right out of the box. Won the Pulitzer Prize for drama. So suddenly, all she's she's one of the 25 most interesting people in People magazine. Everybody wants to know who Beth is. And so one of those people was Jonathan Demme. And Jonathan... uh, invited us out to eat Mexican food. And he always would have me over to his office and play the Defender video game, which I loved. And Jonathan owned the Defender video game, <laughs> which I, which was so cool and crazy. You didn't even have to use quarters. All you had to do was press go and you got a new screen. It was just like, God, this is how the other half lives. <laughs> and so Jonathan, you know, we, we went out to him have Mexican food. And Jonathan was telling us about his movie that uh, he, he was going to be making. And then he said he was working with David Byrne. And, uh, and that all sounded very interesting to me. And so Beth and I were two of the first pe- people who ever did Pilates before Pilates was cool. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why we did it, but we did it. So we were walking from Pilates and this car pulls up beside us in Hollywood Window rolls down, Jonathan Demi. Hey, kids. I mean, it's like crazy, right? Hey, kids, I'm just finishing the rough cut of Stop Making Sense. Wow. And it's over at the Academy. Do you want to come see it? Wow. And tell me what you think. So we we follow Jonathan over to the Academy. And if you have not been to the Academy of Arts and Sciences, their, school, their screen is magnificent, as you could imagine. Right. And huge stereophonic sound. It's see. 1900 people something like that huge beautiful auditorium and there's only like eight people in there 
there's the talking heads. Let's see, that's four. That's me and Beth. That's six. Jonathan and his former wife, Evelyn. That's like eight. So if I'm missing anybody, that's it. But they're like eight people in this enormous 2000 seat theater. I really didn't know anything about the talking heads music at the time. I mean, I knew their big hits, but I didn't really know about them too much. So we see Stop Making Sense, which is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, certainly of its kind, the greatest concert oh, movie yeah. I've ever it's, seen. It's, it's amazing. You know, you've got Woodstock, you've got all sorts of great, but but the way Jonathan filmed uh, Stop Making Sense and the way he did the sound, it's so enveloping. It starts with this little David with a cassette player yep. and a microphone uh, and singing a song solo. I think it's Psycho Killer. He starts something small and then more people come out. And by the time you're doing Take Me to the River, it the movie just overwhelms you. Yes. It is one of the greatest. I've seen it so many times. I just love it, love it, love it. Well, afterwards, Jonathan asked if Beth and I wanted to go out to, they're going to eat Chinese food, and David was going to come along and everything. So we're sitting at this table on Sunset Boulevard, just like in the movies. And David Byrne was sitting across from me, and he, he wanted to know what I didn't like about the movie. And, and he says, don't, don't give me any compliments. All people do is give me compliments. I want to hear the, the truth, the truth. And I said, well, the truth, David, is this is one of the greatest. <laughs> it's not a compliment. This is one of the greatest uh, concert films of all time I've, I've ever seen. It is thrilling. And you guys are brilliant. And Jonathan did a break. It's just brilliant. And then David asked if he could, he was shooting, a road to nowhere for MTV mm-hmm. uh, video. They did music videos back in that. <laughs> I era. remember those days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and he says, well, can we shoot? He says, do you and Beth have a swimming pool? And we did at this point in time. That's one thing. Uh, the Pulitzer prize will get you is a house with a swimming pool. Nice up on Hollywood, up in the Hollywood Hills, man, living the life. And so David said, can we shoot in your pool? And so, yeah. So, you know, without getting any insurance, you know, no, I know all these things now. If you have all these strange people coming over to your house and you're living in the Hollywood, someone's going to sue you. Well, thank you. know, no one sued us. No one got hurt. We had no insurance. We didn't charge David anything. And after we finished shoot, and when you see Road to Nowhere, on YouTube, if you look at that video, the underwater scenes were shot in our swimming pool. Wow, that's awesome! It is, it is, <laughs> it is on film. And so I'm barbecuing uh, some salmon for David and uh, Bonnie, his, his girlfriend at the time, and uh, and whoever was left. I think it was basically just David. And I was asking him, "Well, what are you working on next?" Everybody asks that question in Hollywood. <laughs> God, and we always hate that question. What are you working on next? Scratch that off the list. <laughs> Get what you yeah. just done. <laughs> you know, what are you working on next? And and he goes, "Well, you know, whenever we go out on the road, um, we always stop at these Seven Elevens and they have these magazines that are just newspapers that are crazy. You know, Weed Whacker, 
from space, you know, attacked my girlfriend, you know, crazy that are all purported to be true stories. So I wanted to do a movie called True Stories, where it's filled with all these nutty, nutty tales that couldn't possibly be true. And then Beth says to David, well, then you should talk to my sweetie, meaning me, because he can hear tones. And David goes, what? You can hear tones? <laughs> and I said, well, it, it's a weird story, David. It's a weird story. And I told him this story about when I was a, a sophomore in college. I was in movement class. We went out to a lake outside of Dallas, Texas to have a retreat. And as the evening sun was setting and the fire pit was going, our teacher said, now we're going to go around in a circle. And I want you just to say the first thing that comes to your mind, first thing that comes to your mind. And at that point, you know, uh, people were just reading Tolkien. And so going around the circle, people were going Hobbit, Frodo, uh, Gandalf. Uh, can I say something someone else has said? Well, yes, of course. Just the first thing that comes to Okay, Hobbit. And, and they're going around in the circle and they get to me and suddenly I hear this musical note in my head and I open my mouth and the thing that comes out is uh, I look at my teacher and I said, I get you're not who you say you are. You have an assumed name and your real initials are JK or JL. Pause. And then my teacher goes, all right. And next, then the next guy goes weed. And then the next guy goes Gandalf. And next guy goes Frodo, Frodo, weed. Okay. Then we all start to disperse. I'm heading for my car and out of the shadows comes my teacher and said, Stephen, why did you say what you said about me? I said, I don't know. You, you said, say the same, say what first thing comes to your head. And I heard this tone and I just said what I, he says, because it's true. I have an assumed name and my initials are JK, just like you said. So I want to know again, how did you know what you know? And I said, I got to tell you again, I just nothing. Anyway, later on, I, I, I meet up with Beth and we are still not quite romantically involved at the time, very close to being romantically involved. And I'm driving her home from a party and she reaches out and holds my hand and she says, do I make a tone? And I shook my head and said, yes, so longing to kiss her. Uh, but we hadn't yet. And she says, what is my tone? I said, well, Beth, actually you have three tones. Most people only have one. Some have two, but you have three. And your tones are in the male range, which is unusual because most women's tones are in the female. Your tones are in the male range and all three are in harmony, which is interesting. Uh, and she grabbed my hand really tight and she said, we're going to make a fortune. And I said, what? She said, Let's go into business together. You just say that. You just say that to people. I'll bring them in from the theater department. I'll bring them into a room. You hold their hands. You say you hear a tone and you say stuff like that, like your tones in the male range, your tones in the female range. Oh, your tones are out of harmony. Your tones are in harmony. All of that kind of stuff. You say that we're going to make a fortune. We could charge 25 cents a reading. We could even charge a dollar. We'll save the money. We'll go in business together. And Beth and I went in business 
together. And in college, I read people's tongues. Really? <laughs> and we put the money in a jar, and we had made $35. $35 of <laughs> the money in the jar. And we always felt the money was sacrosanct. You know, we didn't even use it to buy beer. And I told David Byrne this story. And he found it ridiculous and hilarious and fascinating, too. And he asked if I still heard tones. And I said, well, I can on occasion, but I had to try to stop because it was making me nuts. Because the more you listen for tones, the more you hear them. And then it would kind of overwhelm me. And again, it sounds crazy. So I stopped talking about the tones. So (laughs) David and I, David gave Beth and I the job of screenwriting true stories. And then uh, we found out that we had 19 days to deliver a first draft. So Beth and I go nuts for 19 days. We write a screenplay, we turn it in, and then we hear nothing from David for a year. Wow. Nothing. So we assume we're cooked. And I'm driving through the Hollywood Hills a year later, 365 days. That's longer than one of my stories. And suddenly I'm at a stop sign in the, in the hills and there's a knock on my car window, which is shocking. And it's David Byrne on a bicycle. And, huh? and I roll down the window and go, Stephen, Stephen, I was just riding in the hills. Uh, sorry, I haven't talked to you for so long, been a year, but are you going to be at your house later? Because there's something I want you to hear. And I go, sure, David, sure. So <laughs> I, I go back over to the house. David comes over with his guitar. He apologized for not uh, talking to us for a year, but he said he was on tour and and it was difficult, and he had been rewriting true stories. And he said, basically, you know, I basically redid almost everything you did. I think you have a couple lines in there. I think we have about nine or ten, actually. And he says, but I wrote this song. I do have a character in there that hears tones, and I wrote this song for you. And he, in my living room, David played uh, Radiohead. Oh, wow. On his guitar. Whoa. And okay. I'm hearing this. My mind is, everyone's mind's like a radio, you know, radio head. I'm picking up something good, radio head. It, you know, I mean, I, I couldn't even imagine a greater gift in life. But even better than Jonathan having a Defender machine that you didn't have to use quarters with. <laughs> David Byrne wrote a song based on this wow. crazy event that happened to me in college. And then the band on a Friday who loved true stories and loved David Byrne changed their name to Radiohead. Right. So yep. I ended up having a band named after a David Byrne song that was based on a story I told him while I was cooking him salmon. That story it's crazy. is That's fantastic. how crazy life is. <laughs> I, I love the fact that David Byrne just materializes out of nowhere on a bicycle. <laughs> David Byrne out of bike. nowhere on a bike. <laughs> on a bike. It's great. It's, yeah, the, I, I love that story. And, that, was, and then, that was amazing. That is, and then I, yeah. I, I went back and I directed in New York, and David asked me if I wanted to stay at his, his place in New York because he was going to be on tour. And I go, well, sure. So his house in Los Angeles had nothing in it. I mean, it. he had a rented, like one of those tables that you pull the legs out, you know, to play bingo at. Sure. And he had like maybe six chairs that you unfold and you do that. But there was no furniture in this house in the Hollywood Hills. Uh, nothing. So I figure, well, sure, 
I'll go stay at David's house down in Tribeca, or I think it was even further south than Tribeca. It was down around Houston Street, way down there, a loft way down there. So I figured this is where David really hangs out. This is where he lives. So while I was directing in New York, I stayed at David's house and there was not a stick of furniture in the house. <laughs> and, and, you know, I slept on a pad on the floor and I guess he had rented these a kitchen, uh, like a kitchen table and metal chairs. The chairs had holes cut out in them for a design like these metal chairs with holes on the back and holes <laughs> on the seat. So if you were naked, like I usually am, as we've discussed a couple times a day, and you sit in one of those chairs, it will put these welts on your buttocks <laughs> and your back. You know, it'll look like you have some kind of berry-berry or something. And it, 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 And in his closet, all he had were the white suits that he uses to sing on stage, oh, you know, wow. the kind of linen white sure. suit that you always see sure. David with, with the yeah. little skinny black ties. That's all he had. That's all that was in his house. <laughs> nothing, nothing there. So David does not attach himself to material goods. Wow. That is yeah. one of the coolest stories I've ever this, heard. Yeah. Life. This all sounds exactly what I would expect. Yeah. David that's that's kind of like. what you would expect. expect he's like, from Oh him. yeah, that's just how he is. But yeah. he's, you know, he's a genius. Yeah. So yeah. what are you going to do? He's, he, he is. Uh, and you know, one of the greatest moments of my life was truly, you know, there've been so many great moments and great moments attached to David Byrne is when David came to Texas with me. Cause he wanted to look at, uh, locations to shoot true stories in texas and uh so we went to my family home he met my mom and dad and and all that and so just like mom and dad oh this is david byrne and i'm working with him on this movie true story well david david come on in any friend of steven come on in have a seat in the living room and and my mother would always as courtesy to the list of drinks so we always had this list of drinks and and she recited it for david she goes david if you're thirsty we have a coke we have a diet coke we have a pepsi we have a dr pepper we have a beer we have water we have ice water and david just said uh mrs tobolowski i'll just have the diet coke all right david i'll get so david what do you do well, Mrs. Topolowski, I'm a rock and roll uh, singer, uh, and and you can make a living doing that. Uh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. We're famous throughout the world. We we sing and we're recording stars all around the world. We've had a lot of top ten hits. Really, David? Well, that is just wonderful. Now, did you want ice with the Diet Coke, or do you want it just plain? Uh, a little ice would be now, David. It's ice that comes from the refrigerator. Now, I know Stephen doesn't like that ice because he says it smells. But <laughs> is it all right if I put in the ice from the? Yes, Mrs. Tobolowski, that's just fine. It was the weirdest encounter ever in my life. It's very Mom surreal. Meeting David Fern and giving him the list of drinks, and then the discussion of the stinky ice. Amazing. <laughs> It was, I mean, you can't buy a moment like no. that. It's, it's just <laughs> yeah. too weird. It just, oh man, now, that is surreal. I, I have to, I have to bring something up 
to to Jay actually. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Did your mom not meet David? Byrne it wasn't as well? my mom. It was my aunt who was your on aunt, a, who was right, on a plane. Right. Um, yeah, flying first class. She got off the plane and was talking to my mom and said. Yeah, I met I met a very nice man on the plane. He he was uh, I think a musician. And my mom said, "What what? Uh, who was it?" And she was like, "His name was David Byrne." And when my mom heard that, she's like, "What?" And I same. My aunt had no idea who he was. She just talked to him for a few minutes on the plane, first class, and that was the end of it. She had no idea who he was. So yeah. my mom and I were always super jealous because we were huge Talking Heads fans, and yeah, my aunt no. got to meet him and didn't even know who he was. So. But it's no stinky ice, I can tell you. Yeah, yeah. No stinky ice. It wasn't that conversation. Yeah. But, but David is exceedingly uh, polite, and you know, he, you know, he he doesn't come across like as some, you know, out of control right. rock and roller who's been around the world. No, he he comes across like someone who could sit with you in your living room and be very courteous and mind their p's and q's. <laughs> Oh, that's great. That is wonderful. Um, uh, so, yeah, um, I, I actually got a question for you. So uh, you've been in a ton of stuff like Basic Instinct, Mississippi Burning, uh, favorite of mine, Spaceballs, uh, and, of course, mm-hmm. Groundhog's Day. But uh, you've also been in some TV shows, and we could list everything. We could actually spend a lot of time yeah. just running through <laughs> just, credits. We could just spend an hour um, talking about credits. Yeah, and, <laughs> and we would all just start geeking out about it. So, But uh, I just got to ask. Uh, I know that some friends of mine are Buffy the Vampire Slayer fans, so uh, that'd be just, me. You know, they'll be listening for that one. Um, but is there any oh, one yeah. role that you get recognized for the most, and people bring up all the time? Yeah, there. You know, it 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 really boils down to about three or four now in in my life. Most people know me as Ned from Groundhog. Yeah, Day. I That's can imagine a biggie, yeah, yeah. and a huge group of people especially if they have tattoos, know me as Stu Beggs from Californication. And, really? and they love Stu. And it's, you know, Stu and Marcy, our relation with Pam Adlon, our relationship on that show is just fantastic. You know, it's great to be in a great show like that and have a great part with a great partner. It, it's just Californication's a big one. Uh, another one that comes up a lot is uh, action Jack Barker from Silicon Valley, mm. especially when, you know, you talk to people in California who are in the computer business, they've all seen Silicon Valley and they go like, Oh my gosh, it's Jack Barker. <laughs> and, and, and so that's a big one. So whenever I get a weird one, Oh my God, you were in Garfield. <laughs> you, you know, it, when I, when I, when I get the, the ones that are kind of out of, Happy Chapman from Garfield. Yeah, not only happy, but also his twin brother, a Warren Chapman. You know, you, you know, you, you get those weird ones. Uh, th- that always throws me. So, but it's mainly those three, and also uh, Glee for a while. Uh, yeah, people knowing yeah. me from Glee, and and when one day at a time, a huge group of fans yeah. loved. One day at a time, I was flying and internationally because one day at a time, even though, you know, a lot of people loved it here in America, people really loved it around the world. And I'd be, you know, doing the world tour for something, either going to Scotland or someplace, I don't know, in New Zealand. or I, I was in the airport in, in uh, Heathrow, Heathrow, 
And a woman ran out of a French restaurant. She was one of the waiters and she was a Frenchie herself. And she was in love with one day at a time. Really? And, and so I don't know if that's still on Netflix, if you could see it on Netflix. Yeah, but, I think uh, it is actually. Yeah. yeah. You know, you know, Dr. Berkowitz on one day at a time, wonderful show, great show. One of the best sitcoms ever, 30 minute sitcoms ever. And again, it was a great part with a great cast. So that was wonderful. And right now, I mean, huge, I'm a huge fan of the Goldbergs. It's yeah. to me that that show is like the, the way he remembers the eighties is how I remember the eighties. So it's it, very yeah. disjointed, but that's how I remember it. So imagine I uh, always, and, and rarely do people recognize me as a principal from the Goldberg. Really? But I've done the show now for we've done nine years. I started years, as principal yeah. in year two, I think. So I've been on that show off and on for eight years. And I always describe like working on the Goldbergs. It isn't just who you work with. Like I get to work with Sean, who, who plays Adam Goldberg. Right, Adam, I get to yeah. work with Wendy, oh. who, who gets to play Beverly Goldberg. My God. I, I do most of my scenes with them the way the script is written. It's kind right. of compartmentalized that way. And they are so magnificent and great to work with. So professional, terrific. And when you work on the Goldbergs, you are with the gold standard of crew people. Really? It, it's like when I did Deadwood. When I did Deadwood, it's the same kind of thing. You run into this level of crew person on Deadwood, on the Goldbergs, that's off the charts, absolutely professional. It makes your job easier as an actor. It's such a joy to work with the cameramen, the sound guys, uh, the prop people, the costumers. They're just so wonderful. That's great. And so, you know, here's, here's a little example. Uh, on Goldbergs, uh, I had this huge speech to do with this whole list of crazy things. And the prop guy created a book as a prop that has the speech written in the book. Nice. <laughs> printed on a page. So he said, well, this way I thought maybe you can be reading the book when Beverly comes in. And then you could continue to like that you're reading and then you just throw this out to her and you could always go back to your book. I go, you are so kind. You are so brilliant. You know, I've just been sweating blood for the last week to learn this speech. And now you have the whole thing written here. They're just amazing people to work with. And it makes you thrilled to get your nose swabbed every day. You know, we had the COVID test sure. every 24 hours. It makes you thrilled to get your nose swabbed and just be there to work with them. And, and it's just a great show. That's amazing. Um, yeah, I've always thought that Wendy seemed like she was like extremely talented. You've seen her in other things, but then when we got to see her in that show, it's like she just shines as Beverly Goldberg. It's like, wow. And, and it's not just the talent. It's not just the talent. If you, you know, you want to go like, well, what's, how do you survive in show business? What's the key? It's not just the talent. Wendy as the talent. Again, Wendy, great at comedy. 90% of everything we're going to do is comedy. Sure. Wendy's great at comedy. However, being at the top of the pyramid in any cast, you have an enormous effect on how the show goes. And Wendy is one of these people that makes everything easy. 
She is kind to all the guest stars. She's kind to the extras. She's, she's generous with her time and her temperament on the set with everyone. She will always take the blame for anything that happens. She's gracious to a fault. She's tireless. And, and she doesn't complain about it. You, you, you know, it's, we, we were doing one comedy. You know, I always get the question, how do you be a comic actor in Hollywood? And here's my new answer for it is that Wendy and I were doing a scene this last season. We were, we started early in the morning. Usually I have a six o'clock call. So I'm up at four 30 in the morning, get to the stage up in, in the fives. Wendy and I get on set at six 30. We start rehearsing. We had done a whole day of work and now we're doing our final scene. And now it's sunset outside. We've been working probably 13 hours and Wendy and I, it's a two-person scene. We get through half of the scene, and suddenly the AD, assistant director, comes in. Everybody stop. Everybody stop. We've had a COVID break on stage. Everybody go out into the alley. We'll talk to you what's going to happen in a bit. Just go out. Everybody leave the stage and just stand out in the alley. And now we're going, Wendy and I go out in the alley. We're looking at each other, giving each other, oh, my God, put on our masks. We're all standing there waiting. And... Uh, the assistant directions, okay, what we're going to do now is everybody go home. We will call you tonight and let you know what's happening and who was involved and what steps have been taken. Stephen and Wendy, you'll be first up tomorrow, so you'll start at 6.30 and we'll finish this scene tomorrow morning. And so we all go home and await the phone call that we're going to find out is who the hell had COVID? Are we next? We await the dreaded phone call. We found out it was someone who was playing my uh, stand-in and who had left the stage before I came on stage. And so we were okay. Wendy and I were okay to go. No danger of infection. We would be given a 15-minute test, COVID test, the instant we got to the set in the morning at, at 6. And then we would finish the scene. So there's your answer as to how to be successful in comedy in Los Angeles. <laughs> you have to be able to work all day, do half of a comedy scene at night after you've worked for 13 hours, be told that maybe you have COVID or someone had COVID on the set. You wait for the phone call, go to bed, wake up at four o'clock the next day, come get a nose swab in your nose, get on stage and finish the comedy scene. That's how you become a success <laughs> in comedy in Hollywood. It's a wonderful you, it in, being good or being funny, it's what you have to put up with and just endure. <laughs> and somebody like Wendy, I don't know how she does it. It's just grace. She has an enormous amount of emotional resilience. She is a gracious person through and through. So, you know, that is one of the big reasons Goldberg is, is a huge success is her. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's, that's amazing. Like I said, I'm a huge fan of the show. So to get to hear these kind of yeah. things is kind of like, it's, it's, I don't know. It yeah, makes the show wonderful. that much better. It really does. So, yeah. Um, so we don't, I, we don't want to keep you too much longer. We've had you on here for a while. And honestly, uh, hopefully we can talk to you again in the future because your stories are wonderful. And with that being said, you, you actually, um, 
you had a, you have a podcast, correct? You you're no stranger to the world of podcasts, correct? I I have a podcast before podcasts were cool. Yeah, I had uh, broken <laughs> my neck riding a horse on the side of an active volcano in Iceland, and that I is couldn't the coolest work. story ever. I couldn't. <laughs> yeah, and David Chen, from who was a student at Harvard at the time, called me at home. He got my number from. from somebody who directed me got my number and said, are you interested in doing a podcast? I had no idea what it was. <laughs> and he thought we would do, uh, since I've been in so many shows and he was going to do a movie podcast that maybe I could do movie experiences like I did with you guys today. Just tell some of the stories that kind of happened to me on the set. And so uh, we did that. We did that, and I would write a show each week. We would record it live. Oh, God. David, we would record the story live, and David would be our MC, and then he would edit it all together and put it out there on the Internet. And then by the time the fourth show was going to have to happen, I got a call from Dallas that my mother had had a heart attack. Mm. And so I rushed to Dallas, and I was with my mother for the last 24 hours of her life. Mm. And I go back to, I don't know if I was staying at a hotel in my brother's place then. I just start writing and I write this story about mom. And I told David when I came back to Los Angeles the next day, I said, I've written the next podcast, but it is nothing to do with movies. Not at all. It's about my mother, and the, it's and I think it's episode four of the Tobolowsky Files. It's called The Alchemist, is the name of it, of that particular episode. And we recorded it live, and David said, Tobo, from now on, we're not doing a movie podcast. We're doing whatever story you want to write. That is David's generosity, and it his good being a good producer because that particular episode of the podcast went all over the world. Wow. And I got so much email and love and fan mail from everywhere, every country you can possibly imagine people heard that story. And that's what kind of put the Tobolowsky files on the map. And since then I've recorded 99 episodes. We did it all for free. Uh, no commercials on there because we wanted just to do the stories without commercials or charging anyone to listen. So if you go to TobolowskiFiles.com, they're all 99 episodes there. A lot of them now have been on the radio, uh, either PRI radio stations or NPR radio stations all over the country. And, uh, and they just did... We just did one of my stories. I turned into a play for L.A. Theater Works, uh, Good Day at Auschwitz, which is a story of when I was mourning for my mother. I went back to the synagogues and started doing the, the service that you're supposed to do for 11 months for a child who loses a parent, morning and evening at the synagogue. And at the synagogue, I met this old rascal, Abe, Abe Sarna, this old rascal who asked if I wanted to have a drink with him. And we became drinking buddies <laughs> for the next 
two years, and he slowly began to tell me the story of his life and how he was a prisoner at Auschwitz. And he not only survived Auschwitz, he fell in love at Auschwitz. Wow. He not only survived and fell in love at Auschwitz, his life was saved, saved by his two German guards. Uh, it is remarkable. And that story, too, has gotten... But anyway, now L.A. Theater Works, Good Day at Auschwitz, we did it as a audio play during the pandemic. So oh, that was fabulous. Wonderful. So that's out there, too. I think you have to pay for that one. But you don't have to pay for the podcast, Good Day at Auschwitz. So uh, that's that's my podcasting. And, and I'm currently writing more stories and uh, for David and I to record. And uh, just for the hell of it, you know, just because... I realized one thing the pandemic's put into focus for me. We all need a mirror. We all need some sort of reflection. Mm -hmm. And it's not what we're wearing, and it's not how we look, because we just look worse and worse every day. Take my (laughs) word for it. It doesn't go the good way. It goes the bad way. And, oh, there's another spot on me. Oh, there's something else (laughs) hanging off of me. Oh, wait, that's part of me. (laughs) You know, it just gets worse and worse and worse. But the one thing we have is our memory and our reflections. And so many people have listened to my stories and they write and say, oh, the same thing happened to me. And of course it didn't. It wasn't the same thing, but they saw it as some sort of mirror. And I think that's one thing podcasts do, especially in these lonely, lonely times we live in, is like your podcast here, you know, it'll be like people will be sitting in a room with us talking. That's what this has been like. And and if, you know, you get a glass of wine or something and just listen to the stories and sit back and, you know, there'll be something that you go like, you know, that reminds me of this. And suddenly it brings your life in focus more. I don't know how it works, but that's how it works. Yeah, I agree. And you're a fantastic storyteller. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm... I actually did not know you did a podcast until we were doing a little bit of research before we spoke to you and I got very excited and having you here with us tonight and listening to the way you, I mean, I'm telling you the David Byrne story is one of the best stories I've ever heard. So you're a fantastic storyteller. I I think that one on the podcast, I believe is called the voice from another room. Nice. Um, I mean, that's the David Byrne one. Yeah. I can tell you the chances are, I can't, I can't speak for Matt, but, uh, really good that you just got two more people listening to the podcast just from this alone. Uh, yeah, I, I was actually <laughs> subscribing while you were talking about it. I was subscribing <laughs> while you were telling me. Yeah, um, I, I tend to do that whenever somebody <laughs> mentions something on here. I've, I've I've added new streaming services on the show because somebody mentioned it. So, so yeah, be, I'm, I'm going to be listening tomorrow at work. So, Excellent. I, like, like I said, I would love I, I, I would love to follow up with you in the future, have you on again, maybe tell some more stories if you if you ever have a few minutes, but... Before sure, we guys. before Absolutely. we let you go, we have to ask that question that we're not allowed to ask in Hollywood. Um, what do you got going on? Anything anything coming up? <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> uh, Forbidden question. Uh, but no, seriously, hey, anything anything know, coming up that no, uh, that our listeners you, might want to look out for? You guys happened to ask on my lucky day. See, yesterday <laughs> I got two jobs. Nice. Yesterday, right. if you had asked me. Yesterday morning, I'd say, you know, I'm just going to be watching more of The Office on cable, <laughs> you know, uh, and doing my Pilates at home. Uh, no, 
I just got two jobs is, uh, and one thing too is voiceover is such a great field because I can continue to act and not have to worry that like I get typecast as either Ned Ryerson or anybody. I could be anyone I want. So who I'm going to be is uh, they've asked me to play some more of the part I've been doing on Archer. Nice. For the last uh, Robert. So, so I'm going to record another episode of Archer and I'm going to be recording another episode of Loud House for the kids, nice. which I love. Yeah. So I'm going to be doing that in the next week or so, which well, that's is awesome. phenomenal. Yeah. Love. The Archer thing yeah. came up a couple of times in discussion when we were telling people we were going to be talking to you. So that'll make Amazing. some people very it, happy. So The thing that hurts me so much about Archer, when, when, I, when we started Archer, when I started Archer, which was, I think, like three or four years ago, Occasionally, we'd have a recording session where we all got in a damn room together with a microphone, yeah. and you could hear everybody or hear most everybody, and it was like doing theater. You, you know, we were playing off of one another, sure. and it was just hilarious. And and now, because of COVID, you have to show up at the studio with the lung, the door opens, someone in an asbestos suit comes up and sprays you with disinfectant. <laughs> they point you back to the studio. You go back, the door closes behind you. <laughs> then five TV screens light up. Boom, 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 boom. It's the writers and producers. Uh, and, and you just talk with them and you're not allowed to bring any paper in. Not allowed to bring any. A one of them, I don't think it was for Archie. You have to bring your own headphones. Wow. If you have professional quality headphones, you bring your own equipment. B-Y-O-E. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy but that's what i'm up to that's what i'm up to in the next couple of weeks well hey we got a scoop i'll take it yeah. <laughs> you got it man <laughs> well again we really appreciate you uh coming on and talking to us for a little bit it, it was great it was wonderful okay. actually i really enjoyed yeah. it so we thank you immensely thank you yeah. well thank you very much for asking and it was a pleasure for me Listening to the Mixtape Podcast makes you a total badass. Now you know. And knowing is half the battle. All right. Welcome back to the sultry tones of the Mixtape Podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed that and now you can tuck yourself in for a... I don't know what the hell I'm saying. I'm just going to stop. I was right wondering there. where you were. Going <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where I was going. I was, was trying to think. So. Uh, man, so honest to God, if you didn't enjoy that interview, uh, I don't know what's wrong with you. It was. I guess maybe you just really hate the Talking Heads and Stephen Tobolowsky. I don't. I don't know. Uh, what you a great have no interview. soul. There you go. What a great interview. What uh, what you didn't hear on there is. Uh, Steven's wife is also uh, an actress, and she's done some pretty amazing stuff as well. So um, we actually talked to him about having her on the show, and uh, it looks like that's probably going to happen sometime here soon, too. So you can look forward to that, and we talked to Steven about having him on again later down the road because there's just so much to unpack, and he has so many stories, and he's experienced so much that we just, we you know, you can't fit it all in. So... Uh, we told him we would love to have him again, and he said absolutely. So hopefully down the road we'll have him back on and get to tell some more of those wonderful stories. So it was uh, quite the honor for myself and Matt, I think, as well. Yeah. Speak, I'm speaking for Matt a little bit. but Yeah, good. That, on this one you can go over that. Yeah. I mean, we had it. It was definitely, definitely exciting. Like just hearing him talk at the beginning of it, I was just like, oh, man. Oh, 
this is this is the voice. Of, of <laughs> this is the, the voice. guy that yeah. This is it's him. And then as we got going, I was like, I felt like, <clears throat> and, and I don't know if you agree with me on this one, Jay, but it felt like we were just kind of sitting at a dinner table, just having a conversation. Yeah. yeah. Of just like, hey, what was that like? And then he's like, oh, let me tell you, and it just goes on to this whole story about. You know, like I said, David Byrne materializing on a bike next to him at a stoplight. You feel like, which so what awesome. the hell? You feel like yeah. you're asking him like all the nerdy stuff you want to ask somebody that you've like followed your whole life, but usually you and feel bad it, doing just, it. But yeah, he was he like offered a lot of it up. Too. Yeah, but the, here's the weird thing about it too: you would ask him a question thinking you were going to get like even the very first question we ask him were like, you yeah. know, how did you get started? And he tells this story about what got him into acting at the age of like five. <laughs> You're yeah. like, and I think I say in there like that might be the best explanation I've ever heard for why somebody got into acting. It's just like, you know, his it's and he's so sincere, like he's yeah. so sincere and just friendly and fun. Like I imagine he's fun to hang out with, just in general. Yeah. So wonderful interview. We had a great time, like a great time. I think when we got off with him, you and I just geeked out for a few minutes about like. Oh my oh, God! Yeah. You know, did, can you imagine? Can you believe he told us that? That was so wonderful. So we had a great time. So uh, hopefully, like I personally was sitting there looking at the list of questions we were were going to ask him, and then <laughs> he would, he would just it. kind of lead into it and just answer it without us even asking. It was like, oh, okay, yeah. cool. Well, I guess we're predictable then. It just sort of. <laughs> we so. are, I just like that. Uh, he said, "There's that one question they always get asked and they hate." Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm like I'm gonna go ahead and ask you that question, and and he gave us he yeah. dropped he dropped some stuff yeah. on us, so yeah. which is really cool. You got some stuff to look forward to, which is awesome. Archer, apparently, so yeah. for you Archer yeah. fans, you know, uh, yeah. go over check that out. I'm a big fan of Archer. Yep. There you go. Well, he's gonna be back on Archer. So yeah, sweet. Yeah. So, uh, like we always say, we've got some more interviews coming up. Uh, the next episode, we actually uh, got to speak to a gentleman by the name of Joey Clift. Um, Joey is a comedian slash writer. Uh, he's worked on a ton of different stuff. Um, most notably, he did some stuff for um, like Lego Ninjago. He did some stuff for some Looney Tunes projects. Uh, he's worked for the Nerdist, the Nerdist uh, True TV, Funnier Die, College Humor, Tosh.0. So he's done a, he's done a ton of stuff. Um, and most recently, he's been working on a show which is a all Native American writers room for. It's the first all Native American writers room for an animated series, and it's called um, Spirit Rangers, and it's going to be on Netflix. It uh, releases here in a few months, I believe. We talk about it with him. So that'll be the next episode. I uh, highly recommend checking that out as well. Joey was really, really hell of a nice guy and just made every every made everything really relaxed and fun. Um, but more importantly, he's a huge Garfield fan. So we do talk to him quite a bit about Garfield the cat. <laughs> so he's a, he's a huge cat person in general. So we talk, we discuss that with him. So that'll be coming up next week. So uh, stick around for that. We have. Some more fun and exciting stuff in the works. I believe <laughs> there will be a um, Songs You Didn't Know or Remakes episode getting released here sometime in the next few weeks as well. Oh, yeah. uh, we recorded it, and I had to... Uh, I was curious yeah. about that one. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> there was a bit of a hiccup at the beginning that I had to... to um, I didn't know if it was a get yeah, burn up. this one that never existed. No, no, no. There's, what, so. No, there's it's, it's good material, so it's it's coming out. I just had to clean up the beginning a little bit, and uh, uh, it'll yeah. be coming out in a few weeks. 
We have more interviews lined up, and uh, I, you know, I, I never like to say anything before we know for sure. Uh, we have some people that we they have said yes. It's just a matter of getting them scheduled on the books and then here. But uh, yeah. there's some really great ones, and of course, more regular episodes of the show. So stick around. Uh, you can always write us at your mixtape podcast at gmail.com. Let us know if there's uh, anybody or anybody. Well, yeah, if you anybody you'd like us to talk to, yeah. we'd probably like to talk to him too. So please give us some contact information. Yeah, and and even better, yeah, if you've got contact information for that person, just go ahead and send it to us. Yeah, and, send uh, it on over. We'll we'll reach out. Uh, but if there's any, I mean, topics, do, it, do it in an email on your mixtape podcast. Uh, podcast. Podcast. Ed, edit that out because that sounded terrible. Uh, Send it over on your mixtape podcast.com and we'll at gmail.com. We'll take care of yeah. at gmail.com. Yeah, close enough. This is fine. I mean, there's actually going with the website. I, I think you, you know, could, that's uh, the mixtape pod.com. And I think there is an email. It's all in the link tree. Yeah. It's all over there, man. <laughs> At this point, you guys should know how to send it to us. Uh, no, if there's a, anything you think it'd be cool to hear us talk about, let us know. Send that over. Well, we will uh, add it to the list. We have some pretty cool topics coming up. Just to kind of let you guys know, um, I am currently in the process of moving. And uh, once that's done, <laughs> then I'm getting married. So it's going to be a, some hectic few weeks, but I think we're going to be able to cover. I don't think we will be missing much. Um, I don't think we'll disappear from your listening ears no. anytime soon. So, uh, hopefully, if anything, Kevin and I will get it on and just you, talk whoa, about what? Because yeah. <laughs> it sounded well, like well, you said here. Kevin and I will get it on, and I don't, okay. I don't know that people want to listen to that. We'll light Stewie's yeah. candle and you know just go to town. So apparently, Kevin number two is going to make an appearance. Hell yeah, with his blonde oh, goatee man. and red eyes. <laughs> <laughs> he just busted. He just busted like into your room, Snipes man. And Demolition man. <laughs> he just busted into your room like we about to get it on, boy. And you're like, oh my god, time traveling, Kevin Coleman. <laughs> oh god. I'm you from three days in the future. <laughs> what the hell happened? Why are you here? <laughs> what? You didn't look. Why like did this? you go buy some box dye and bleach your hair? What happened? A lot has Shut gone. Shut up, motherfucker! I've been drinking. <laughs> Amazon Prime got me these red contacts real fast. <laughs> A lot has happened in three days. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just gonna. All right. So uh, that's enough of that. Thank you, guys. <laughs> uh, I think for that's, anyone confused about that, go back and listen to old episodes. We won't tell you which one. You just got to listen to all the old all episodes them, to find out what we're talking about. All the episodes. Yeah, that's, that's how you get them hooked. <laughs> <laughs> we give the first bit away for free. That is it, guys. Uh, we're going to go ahead and end this episode. Again, write us and shoot us over an email. Drop us a voicemail. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to hear in the future. Uh, we appreciate all you guys. We love all you guys. Stick around. There will be more to come. And with that, there's only one thing I think we have left to say to all of you listeners out there. Remember to always stay, stay awesome. awesome.